good to be back. Uh, so those of you who've uh, seen me only after about two or three weeks have come and asked me, why are you back? Why have you come crawling back? And, and I'm here to just tell you that my internship at Penso has only lasted two weeks. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm still there. I'm still there. Uh, the reason why I'm here is because I've been invited to preach, and it's, it's so good to be back. And just to see how filled this room is, it's, it's great to just see it from here. Uh, but you know what's also great? It's also great that I don't have to preach in the afternoon as well. Um, so, and that's really exciting. Um, anywho, um, you guys have been going through uh, the Apostles' Creed, and uh, we're up to our third installment. I think last week Elliot has uh, uh, talked and preached through uh, the second line of the Creed, right? I believe Jesus, His only Son, our Lord. And today, I'm going to take us through the third line of the Creed, which says... Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so one, I pray for us, and then we're going to get right into this line of creed. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to ask that you will humble us as we come before your word. And may your spirit continue to do its work of sanctification as we are edified and changed and shaped by the word. And I pray that we would be able to apply and understand uh, the virgin birth in particular and how it is relevant for our lives and how it actually brings us so much assurance and so much encouragement as well. And I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Uh, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is the focus of this week. And from the time of its conception, right, the supernatural birth is to this day one of the most iconic doctrines of the Christian faith. It's one of those beliefs about the Christian faith that distinguishes it from any other worldview. Because no other religion in the world claims to, to say this, to believe this, right? But you know, I, it so happens to be, I don't know about you, but, but I think it so happens to be that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is also one of the more undervalued doctrines. It's one of the more underappreciated doctrines within the Christian faith. Uh, I'm not sure whether you guys have thought about this, but I, I have. And I've, I've contemplated, what is the entire point of the virgin birth? Because if Jesus was to be born normally, for example, would that really have changed anything about the way that God was going to save and redeem his people here on earth? Would there be a real difference? But let me say this, right? Let me say that God's divine acts in the world reveal so much about his nature and his character. And say that again, God's divine acts in the world reveal so much about his nature and his character. And I'll give you some prime examples here, right? You know the story of Exodus, when God delivers the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery, and he, he brings all those plagues upon the, his enemies, and when he parts the Red Sea, who does Israel discover God to be in that moment? Well, God is a God who is Lord over the entire universe, and controls every aspect of it, right? There is no one like him. He's an all-powerful God. How about the story of Daniel, when he was thrown into the lion pit, and yet he wasn't ripped to shreds, right? And the entire time he was protected, because God was there. And so what do we learn from God in that instance? God is an ever-present God. God's divine and redemptive acts in history communicate something about him. It communicates something about his attributes, his character, you know, who he is, and what is he, what is he doing in the world. And that is where we're heading, right? 
that's where we're heading. And my goal and my aim this morning is to help you see the significance of the virgin birth as we examine our passage from Luke chapter 1. Right? What does the virgin birth of Jesus Christ reveal about the nature and character of God? And we're going to slowly begin to understand why our Christian predecessors affirmed this very truth and why it actually belongs in the creed. Uh, as we're going to explore the character of God through this miraculous act of the virgin birth, we're going to actually come to see this, right? That God is far more interested in your life more than you realize. God is far more interested in your life more than you ever realize. How is that the case? Well, well here are my three points on your outlines right there, okay? That through the virgin birth, we'll discover that God is firstly a miracle worker. Secondly, he is also a way maker. And then lastly, he is a promise keeper. And now, for those of you who understand the reference, good on you. Uh, but if you don't, well, come with me to my first point anyway, right? <laughs> uh, what does the unnatural birth demonstrate, okay? That God is a miracle worker. Right? Nothing is impossible for God. Look with me to Luke chapter 1 that was just read out to us by Samuel. In verse 26, right, we see that God commissions the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to find a woman named Mary. Now some things to know about Mary that Luke tells us is that firstly, she's a virgin. Okay, that's the first thing to know about her. She's known no man before. And secondly, she's pledged to be married to Joseph. I think that's very helpful to know because let me tell you about how engagements and marriages worked during that time. Okay, for, for now, um, you guys would know that there are like, you know, three stages to marriage today where, you know, you, you date someone for a certain period of time and then you have the engagement, right? Uh, we have a couple who's going to get married real soon, Clem and Beck, right? Um, and, and then when you get engaged, you're in this in-between period, right? Um, before you actually finally tie the knot on the wedding day. And at and, and that point, that is when you're legally married, right? Well, marriages in ancient Jewish culture worked similarly, sort of like that, but also not really, right? Because there were two stages of the marriage process back then, right? Firstly, there was the engagement, okay? And, and what happens then is that both the, the man and the woman would sign this leg, legally binding certificate and contract to, to marry each other. And, and the groom has to pay a certain amount to the in-laws, okay, a bride price. I don't know how much Clem had to pay. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure. Maybe got free. No. Uh, but but um, he had to pay a bride price in order to marry her. And at that point, the woman is, at that point, legally married to this man already. And so the man is able to legally call her his wife. Uh, but they don't actually move in together. That's the thing, right? They don't actually move in together until the second stage of the marriage process where, you know, about a year later, they, have, they will have the wedding ceremony and the husband then finally brings the wife home. That's when the marriage is consummated, right? And so in the case of Mary here, she was betrothed to Joseph. They were legally married on paper, but they hadn't begun to live with each other just yet, not as one unit just yet. Uh, they were still in that in-between period, right? Very similar to the way that we probably understand engagement today. And so in our terms, she was probably only engaged at this point. And that is helpful to know. It's helpful to know because the angel is about to say something to Mary that is quite staggering. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, this angel finds this woman and she's terrified. Right? She's terrified. Uh, he says greetings. She just freaks out. Doesn't know how to respond. 
And then Gabriel's like, oh, Mary, man, just chill, man. Just chill. It's just your boy, Gabe, man. No reason to fear, okay? No reason to fear. I've got a message for you from the boss upstairs, right? And he's come to say to you that you are going to give birth to a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, okay? And you ought to call him Jesus, okay? Don't call him anything else. Don't, don't call him Northwest, no, no Moochie, no fancy names like that. Call him Jesus, okay? And this guy is going to be a king, and he is going to rule this world. He's going to be special. And Mary's like, wait a minute, man. Hold on a sec, man. I, I, first of all, okay, I've had no sexual intimacy with any guy like that. No guy's known me like that, okay? And, and second of all, I'm engaged with this guy already, okay? His name's Joseph, but we haven't moved in together. We haven't done anything together yet. And so I don't see how this is going to be possible, okay? And then thirdly, thirdly, Gabriel, okay, even if all of this was true, What's my family going to think? Okay? What is my friends going to think? What is Joseph going to think? Okay? Me having this little baby bump and we haven't done anything together yet. What's he going to think? What's everyone going to think? We can, we can understand Mary's angst here, right? Uh, because <laughs> can you imagine if Mary and Joseph had a baby shower? Okay? And, and all the friends and family, they, they arrive at this party Right, and, and they see this baby bump, and they're just like, oh, man, Mary is pregnant out of wedlock, man. That's crazy. And, and Joseph's over in the corner there. He's just standing pretty awkwardly, looking lost. Looks like he doesn't want to be there. Okay? And everyone else is like, what is wrong with him? And then Mary has to explain the situation. Right? She's like, uh, oh, no, this baby doesn't belong to him. Someone else was involved. Uh, but but you got to believe me. This baby belongs to God. But you think I'm crazy, but but let me tell you, I I I didn't believe it as well. It's complicated, I know, but you got to you got to believe me, right? Just imagine how awkward that baby shower would have been, right? And we can imagine Mary's pain in that sort of situation, and it's and and it's because that is absolutely bizarre. That's that's why this story is here to show us this is absolutely crazy. But you see, this is what Christians from the early church have professed and Christians all throughout the ages have affirmed up into this present moment that we believe Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. That we believe Jesus was supernaturally born into this world and he was born apart from the normal process of procreation, not with a father or a mother, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born without sin. That is what we affirm. And there is a profound mystery to it, isn't there? Because there really isn't any miracle like the virgin birth. Uh, let me ask a very interesting and potentially awkward question. Uh, have, have any of you, when you were younger, asked your parents this question? How were you born? Have you asked them? Parents, have any of your kids asked you this question yet? How were they born? Okay, um, Kids, if you haven't asked that question yet, well, morning tea is up in front pretty soon. Okay, there's a ponder, uh, point to ponder right there. Well, uh, <laughs> um, I'll let you guys know what my parents said when I asked them this question. Um, not last year, but uh, when I was much younger, okay, when I was much younger. Um, I want to tell you what my mum said to me because when I think about it, it's slightly disturbing. Uh, 
But I'll tell you what my dad said, okay? He, I, I remember it very clearly. Uh, he said simply, uh, very simply to me, John, when you're 18, I'll tell you the secret. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, and, and you know what's so stereotypical about Asian parents when it comes to having this co- sort of conversation with their kids is that I'm turning 30 this year, and he still hasn't told me. <laughs> uh, and so I have no idea. <laughs> but, but, but everyone knows, right? Everyone knows that as we get older and as we learn about the laws of nature and how this world functions is that the conception of a baby does not happen out of thin air. That, that you need both a man and a woman for natural procreation to happen. Now, those are the, the core and essential ingredients to making a baby. And so it is scientifically impossible for a baby to be conceived without the seed and the egg meeting together, right? That is an undeniable fact, which is why, which is why this is really an unbelievable miracle. And, and I guess for some of us, it might be tempting to sort of you know, classify Jesus as a, as a miracle child. You guys know the term miracle child, heard of it before? Well, um, what it means, right, when, when we think of miracle children, we often think of children who are born under unusual circumstances, right? Uh, we might think of the child who was prematurely born, right? Um, and yet continues to live. Uh, they would be called a miracle child. Uh, we think of the child who was born to parents who suffered from infertility for a very long time, right? They would be called a miracle child. For example, John the Baptist is, was considered a miracle child. And, and we know that he is because even though the Gospels don't tell us how old Elizabeth was, um, if you read just a little bit earlier on from the reading that we just read in Luke chapter 1, we see that Elizabeth was well advanced in her years when she gave birth to John. And it was known at that time that she was past, way past childbearing age. And so even though it was miraculous indeed, right? This is, it is insane that that Elizabeth was able to give birth at such an old age, bearing a child in your old age is actually still within the realm of possibility. You know what I'm saying? Because there have been women in the past who have naturally given birth in their mid-50s, right? And, and you know, in today's age, with the help of assisted um, reproductive technology, you know, there was this woman in India who gave birth to twins at the age of... 74, right? And that is an incredible feat to be sure. That is, that is insane. It's crazy. And, and I'll, let me tell you this. Those things do not happen every day. It is a miracle. But do you see that so long as a male and a female are involved in the process of procreation, the odds are still there, right? But, but what we need to see here is that with Jesus, there were no odds, it's just impossible, scientifically impossible for anything like this to happen. And, and that is what makes the birth of Jesus a miracle among miracles. It's just not possible for any human to be born without those fundamental conditions being met. And so the, spirit, the, the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ should be insurmountable evidence that God is able to do the impossible. <laughs> Sorry. God is a miracle worker. And not just that, guys, right? 
not just that. God is a miracle worker, but he's more than that. But that through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, we also discover that God is a way maker. We're now at my second point. God has paved the way for people to commune in his presence, right? And we, we see this so clearly all throughout the scriptures, right? Because time and time and time again, there are stories of God's redemptive acts in Israel preserved through the history where God has supernaturally intervened into our world to save his people from sin and destruction. Um, recall the book of Exodus, right? God appears to Moses in the burning bush to begin his plan of redeeming his people from, um, from Egypt, right? In the book of Joshua, God appears to Joshua in the, uh, to, to lead his people into the promised land just as he promised. In the book of Daniel, right? God appears to those three young Jewish men and redeemed them from the fire that they were in. And in the Gospel of Luke, in verse 26, God appears to Mary in her very own hometown, to tell her that she will become the vessel that will carry the great hope of all humanity. And you know what is the common denominator in all those instances? God is the one that takes initiative, right? God is the one that takes initiative. He's the one that reaches out his hand, and he's the one that rescues us from our adversity. Our God's not a passive God. He's not passive. He doesn't wait for trouble to arise. He doesn't wait until we begin crying. He doesn't wait until we call out for help. God is the one who moves towards us. Okay? And in his great love, he has made a way for sinners to be made right with God. And that he, in his infinite wisdom and in his wondrous grace, he sent his own son who was God and was with God the Father from all eternity to come and assume human flesh. And, and he adopted this form of an insignificant little baby. He took on such a humiliating form. He has come into our world, and guys, we need to recognize this is big. right? It is big. It's big that God, the creator of the universe, would come and enter into our world in this way. And, and guys, I hope this actually helps us to see a bit of a glimpse into the very heart of God. That he is willing to go that far to meet us where we're at. He is that willing. I think we established already that he is a miracle worker. He is able to do the impossible. There is no one like him. It is one thing to believe that God is able, right? But as we'll also see, it is another to believe that God is willing. And being willing makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because you could be able but not be willing. And also you could also be willing but not able. Okay? And, and neither are particularly helpful. And here's an example, right? Okay, if if uh, we get to an instance where we don't have enough uh, people to play on the band, um, there's no lead singers, you know what? I'd be willing to sing every Sunday and serve in the musical team, right? But, but here's the thing. Obvious reasons, I'm not able to. Number one, because I'm in Penshurst. But also, two, if you actually did roster me in, I don't know if you'd be willing to come back to church next week. Okay? So you could be willing, but not able. And you could also be able, but not willing. Okay? Each and every one of you guys here are able 
to get to church on time, but some of you are not willing, okay? Uh, I don't mean that as an indictment, because I don't know who I'm talking to, right? <laughs> okay? But you see what I mean, right? You could be able and also not willing, and also that is not particularly helpful. And so I wonder where you see my point here, right? God, as the miracle worker, is able. And God, as the way maker, is willing. He is both able and willing to be with us. You see? And, and that's why you, um, if you were to read Matthew's account of the virgin birth, from Joseph's perspective here in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' prophesied name is Emmanuel. God with us. You see? The supernatural birth of Jesus Christ is the mark of divinity that God has impressed upon his own creation. It is insurmountable evidence, once again, that God has come to bring his personal presence into our world. And, and you know what that means, guys? It means that God is profoundly interested in us. He is interested and he wants to be invested into your lives. right? And when I say that God is interested in us, he is profoundly interested, I, I don't mean that he finds us interesting. Uh, yeah, he doesn't just find us interesting. Yeah, and you know the difference, right? Between the word interested and interesting, okay? God doesn't find us interesting, not in the way in which he, he sits back and he, he observes our lives from afar, right? He, he doesn't consider us as fascinating spectacles to just um, look at and, and stands from a distance and just watch how this is all going to play out because he thinks this is going to be entertaining. Um, I, I remember... Um, um, I was with a couple Grace Point people after a wedding, and, uh, and we stayed at someone else's place, and, and the girls thought it would be funny to watch this show called Singles Inferno, okay? Um, and um, I, some of you probably know the show. And I, I've been up here before recommending classics to watch, right? But I'm here to say that this, I do not rate this, okay? I do not rate this at all, okay? This is not a show that the family should watch together, Okay, because because this is a Korean family show where there's a whole bunch of single people, okay, both guys and girls, um, and they're all ready to mingle on this love island, okay, and and they they're flirting with each other and they're doing all these sorts of things, and and you're just you're sitting back and you're just watching at the at the situations and all the awkward moments, and and you laugh, right, um, and and that's what it's made for. It's made for your entertainment. And so as we think about, as I bring it back, and, and think about the way that God relates with us, and the way that God relates to his world, um, we could say that God sees all things. That's absolutely true, right? He sees all things. He sees all the affairs that are going on in our world as we speak. But let me, let me say this. God is not like us, okay? God's not sitting on the couch binge-watching episodes of our lives being played out like a reality TV show, laughing at our stupidity and our struggles. Right? That's not the God of the Bible, everyone. That's not the God of the Bible, and that is not the God that we worship. Here's a picture of the God of the Bible. He is a God that enters into the drama of our lives. You see, that is the God that we worship. He enters into our world, he enters into our stories, and he enters into our pain. Because he wants to be involved in our lives, 
right? He, he's our caring father who, who takes our hand and, and he walks us and, and he guides us and he leads us all the way through step by step. And, and you can't imagine a God like that, can you? And, and I'm not just talking to the, to the visitors here. If you uh, have come here for the first time, uh, welcome. But, but um, you know, I, I'm talking to the, to the believers here, to the Christians here, to the regulars here. Because I think for many of us, you know, especially last year perhaps, um, you felt that God has largely been absent in your life. Maybe even now in this present moment. You feel like God has largely been absent in your life. And, and you sort of just think, Man, God doesn't care about my life. Why would, care? Why would God care? Why would God care about someone insignificant like me? Because maybe the year that you've just had last year was an excruciatingly painful year for you, one you won't forget, right? Where um, all the experiences you've had so far was enough for you to forget that God cares. Because where was God when I lost a loved one last year? Where was God when the whole world turned against me? Where was God when I found no peace from my restlessness? Where was God when I was walking through the valley of darkness? All alone. I think so many of our burdens that we've lived through last year, you know, and, and from years past, and continue on into the new year we have ahead of us, continue to weigh us down. And if we have felt that God was absent in our lives for that entirety of it, then why would we assume that he has come into our lives now. God's impersonal, is he not? He's uninvolved in my life, and he just doesn't get me. We often think God is like that, right? Yeah, can I just say this? That despite how you might feel, God is with you. God is far more interested and involved in your life more than you can ever imagine. And you have, may have gone through so much pain and hardship in this season, but you are not alone. You are not alone. God not only knows, but he has also felt your pain as well on his own body, right? Because he has made his way down to this physical abyss to know the true depths of our brokenness, right? He knows and has felt loss, and he has felt grief, he has felt betrayal, he's felt abuse. And, and in his entire life, since the time he was born, he has experienced the same challenges of humanity, and he's lived through the brokenness of it all. Yeah, you know, he doesn't just know all of this in his head. You know sometimes how we would binge watch all kinds of videos of our own hobbies, right, of cooking and investing and all that sort of stuff, the things that you guys are into, and we sort of just think that because we've watched so many videos, we've become experts in these things, right, become know-it-alls when we consume a lot of stuff. Well, that's not God. God is not like that. Jesus, the God-man, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, knows and has lived through the everyday experiences of a human struggling in a fallen world to, em to empathize with humans' weaknesses and fragility. And he is able and willing to walk with you in all your pains and your hurts. God is far more interested and involved in your life more than you can ever imagine. And he has made a way to make that absolutely possible. And we have every reason to trust him. We have every reason to trust him because God has sworn an oath to himself that his word will never be broken. Now come with me to my last point. 
All of us know of someone who is able and willing, right? But continues to disappoint us day by day. Uh, think, think of the friend of yours who's always able and willing to come over to your place. You know, just to hang, just to chill, to spend some time with you. But they never show up. You know, I have a friend like that in uni. He's been like this since the time I've known him, right? He's always like, yeah, yeah, John, I'll come and hang. Right? I'm free. I'm able. Give me the time. I'll be there. Never shows up, right? Think of the uni student who's able to get their work done, able to get their work done, willing to get their assignments in on time, but always misses the deadline. How's that possible? And then they always apply for extension, right? Maybe that's you. <laughs> Not think of anyone in particular. <laughs> right? Right? Someone might be able, and they might be willing, but would they be able to keep their word? And as we're going to discover in verses 34 to 38, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ makes known clearly to us that God never goes back on his word. He never goes back on his word. He is the promise keeper who gives us assurance that he's committed to us from beginning to end. Here's my final point. Look with me to verse 34. Verse 34. Now, after hearing all of this, right, after all the things that Mary has just heard from this angel, Mary asks a very reasonable question. She asks, how is this all going to be possible since I'm a virgin, right? How is it going to be possible that I'm going to be pregnant with the Son of God without the assistance of a man? It's reasonable to ask, right? And, and for those of you who have had surgery before, I'm um, uh, I presume some of you guys fall in that category. Some of you guys have had surgeries in the past. You know that doctors typically explain the surgical procedure to you, and that you know they will often tell you of the risks. They'll tell you of the benefits of the the surgery. They'll tell you of the alternatives that are out there as well, right? Um, uh, the doctor would also give you detailed information about the procedure, uh, what's its intended purpose, and how it's going to be executed. And they'll also tell you the success rate. Of the procedure. Uh, the success rate is probably 80-90%. It's pretty easy. Um, you'll be alright. Or maybe it's 20%. You're kind of screwed, right? Um, and, and they do all of this to get your informed consent, right? To make you feel more comfortable. To get you more confident that what you're going through is going to be good for you, right? And, and that is the whole point. Right, And what we see here in this, intera uh, in this interaction here, in a similar tone, is that um, Gabriel is explaining the procedure to Mary. Right? And, the, and the angel gives his answer in two parts. We see there, firstly, the details of the procedure in verse 35. How is this procedure going to happen? And then secondly, he talks about the efficacy of the procedure in verses 36 and 37. What's the success rate of this procedure? Okay. And I want to unpack the first portion here for a moment, right? The details of the procedure. And as you're reading that little portion there, you probably notice something, right? Do you notice something? Gabriel doesn't actually explain the procedure all that well. Right? For something that is very crazy, very miraculous. He doesn't really try to explain the procedure very well. All he says this, he just says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and God's power will overshadow you. Right? Talk about vague. There is no more clarity about how this procedure 
is going to be executed. No explanation on how she's going to give birth to Jesus here. And uh, to you ladies here in this room, right? If you were in Mary's position, what sort of questions do you think you would ask the angel Gabriel, right? Is, is God going to supply the seed? Is, are you going to use my eggs? We're going to use someone else's eggs, right? How is this baby going to be formed in me, right? Is it still going to take nine months? Or is he going to be popped out tomorrow? I got to know, right? Am I going to give birth naturally? Or do I need a C-section on this, right? I got to know these things. But what we see here is that there's nothing in this account of the virgin birth that helps us to understand with much precision at all how this supernatural birth is going to happen. It's, it's a profound mystery. And, and so either God isn't very good at explaining things or God has intentionally concealed the mystery. As, and he's intentionally concealed the mystery because he wants Mary to respond to his message in a particular way. Let's, let's look at the next portion right here, right? So Gabriel talks about the efficacy, the success rate of the procedure here in verse 36. And this is how Gabriel replies, right? Look, look at your relative Elizabeth. She is living proof that God was faithful to his promises, right? She's in her sixth month of her pregnancy. She who was never able to conceive before, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Did you guys catch that? Where does assurance come from? Assurance does not come from comprehending all the details. True assurance, actually, comes from trusting in the character of someone even when we don't know all the details. That's true assurance. I'll say it again. True assurance comes from trusting in the character of someone or something even when we don't know all the details. Right? God is saying to Mary here, Mary, Mary, this is, this is a lot to take in and I know that, right? I get that. But don't be afraid. Because even though I won't explain everything to you, mainly because you're just not going to get it anyway, I just want you to know this, that I am with you. I am with you. I, and, and look at your relative Lizzie, right? I've been with her. And I've been keeping my promises to her as she's about to give birth. And so Mary, will you trust me? Will you trust me, Mary? That even though you do not know everything on what is going on and that you have every reason to fear, will you have faith in my word? And by faith, Mary accepts the task and becomes the mother of Jesus Christ. And so what is, the, what is the lesson to learn here? I think so often we need, uh, so often we feel like we need uh, to know everything 100%, right? We feel like we need everything to be explained to us 100% before we are willing to consent and commit ourselves to making that decision or, or believing in that certain truth. And I totally get that, right? And I feel like there's this sentiment in particular when it comes to our own relationships, especially when we've been hurt by someone and you know, they've betrayed our trust. Like, like how could you? How could you? I, I believed in you. And yet you, you, you continue to hide all these things from me, right? And so how can I continue to trust you, right? How could you betray me like this? And, and I feel like 
the, the only way that I can trust you at this point is if you explain to me every single thing that you are doing. And then maybe I'll begin to trust you again. Right? And, and you know, often at times we, we might treat God like this. You know? That um, we, we feel like we have to hold him accountable for the times that we felt his absence. Right? Where were you, God? Where were you, God? Explain yourself. Explain yourself because you didn't seem to be there when I was going through this hardship all alone. And, and so on, on what basis can I continue trusting you? Right? Maybe if this year things in my life are going a little bit more smoothly, I might reconsider trusting in you. But I'm going to say this to you, God. I'm not going to make it easy. Yeah, you're going to have to prove to me once again that you are someone worth trusting. Right? And if that's you, um, in this room. And let me say this. Um, that God doesn't need to explain himself. Because number one, he's God and you're not. But also secondly, he has never withdrawn himself from you to begin with. God is with us. And he's shown us this through the coming of his son. The coming of his son through the virgin birth. That is a testament that he has kept his promises. Right? And, and, and you know what? Mary did not entrust herself to the Lord's promises on the basis that she knew all the risks of the pregnancy. She knew all the benefits of the, of the pregnancy uh, on all the various alternatives. She, she did not make her, she didn't commit herself to, the faith, uh, to faith in those promises based on those things, right? Notice Mary's response in verse 38. She has fully entrusted herself to the word of God. Mary placed her faith that God will deliver his word and his promises. Promises that were made in the past. Uh, very early on in the first three chapters of Genesis, God had already had a plan to save humanity from the catastrophic effects of the fall through the seed of the woman who was going to crush the head of the serpent. And later within redemption history, God gives Israel a clearer sign of this ancient promise in Isaiah 7, 14. That a virgin will conceive and, bring, uh, and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And what Mary did not know at this present moment, at this time in her life, was that the birth of this son, the birth of this son of the Most High, was to be born in her womb and that God was going to bring fulfillment to those prophecies and promises through her. How do we know that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ really happened? And how do we know that God really is with us? Look at the efficacy and the sufficiency of the word of God. The word of God never fails. And it will bring to pass what God has promised he will accomplish in the world. And so as we conclude our time together in this creed and rediscover the significance and the importance of this cherished doctrine, I hope today you've become more assured of God's character. One who is a miracle worker. He is the one who is able to do the impossible. One who is a way maker. One who is willing to be with us and has paved the way through to make the impossible happen. And one who is a promise keeper. The one who assures us that he is always faithful to his word. You know, there's lots more to the virgin birth, more than you realize, right? 
And so here are two points to ponder that I want you guys to take away from this morning. I mean, I'll wrap this up real quick. Firstly, God is more, far more interested and involved in your life more than you will ever realize. In times when you doubt God, or you find Him so hard to relate to, cast your eyes on the virgin birth. It is historical proof that He has come to dwell with us, and He knows you, and He loves you. And you can bank on, your, on His word, you can bank on His word that all of those things are true. Cherish that in your hearts. And then secondly, God calls you to trust Him at His word. Now, it's such a simple response, right? Just have faith. And yet it takes a lifetime to learn, doesn't it? Trusting God takes a lifetime to learn that He's really there with you. There are times where we will wonder whether God is just trying to avoid us in the mess. It's true. Sometimes we'll feel that. Like God is just trying to avoid us in the mess. But we're going to have to have um, the assurance that God is actually there with us in and through our mess. Okay? Church, God is far more interested and invested in your life more than you can ever imagine. And so will you trust Him at His word? The virgin birth doesn't get a lot of airtime in the Bible. And so it's often tempting to overlook its importance in the Christian life, right? But I hope that from this morning, the inclusion of this doctrine into the Apostles' Creed is able to help us understand its place within Christian orthodoxy and of its role, not only in affirming and sealing the truths of God's Word in our hearts, but also bringing assurance and encouragement in our hearts that God is living and God is active in our lives and through us all. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you for the word once again and to be able to unpack a little bit more about the virgin birth through this creed. And Father, um, even though we often hear about the virgin birth time and time and again, especially from last month as we celebrated Christmas, uh, that we often do ask ourselves at times why we might celebrate Christmas or why the virgin birth is actually important um, within our Christian lives and what sort of relevance does it bring. Uh, but Father, we pray that through this sermon, through your word, we're able to see that you are a miracle worker, you are a way maker, and you are a promise keeper. All these things are things that we have learned about your character that's expressed through this virgin birth. And so may we have assurance that though we may walk through dark times, um, you are there with us. And you are, you are there with us um, because you have brought your son into the world and he has known what the world is like. And so, Father, I pray all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.